Welcome to episode 49 of Autograph Weekly, a Jim Mint 10 interview. You're now tuned into the most entertaining, informative, and downright kick-ass autograph show that has ever existed. Here's Zane Savage and Double S with Autograph Weekly. Welcome, autograph addicts, to the Autograph Weekly podcast. I'm Zane Savage, and I'm joined today by Stacey Schaefer, Jeremy Daniels, Mike Kane, Ben Martinez, and a new addition to Autograph Weekly, Troy Rudder. Now, as I said, Troy is new to the show, so I'm going to allow Troy to talk a little bit about himself and brag a little bit and uh, explain why we brought him on the show. So go ahead and take it over, Troy. Hey, thanks a lot for having me. Um, basically, I got into TTMs when I was in high school. Um, that was in the, the 90s. So, yeah, I'm, I'm as old as Stacy. So, uh, older, actually. <laughs> the old grandpa. Um, <laughs> so, I got into TTMs then and a, a couple IPs when people would come to town, but nothing too much. Um, and then in 1995, I had an opportunity. Um, the internet was just kind of getting started and uh, companies were just getting on online and stuff, and I, I was offered a job with Warner Brothers in California, and I had never been to California, or much less out of Iowa, and I took that and went and worked there for about six or seven, well, seven years, I guess, and so I uh, did a lot of websites there. Uh, we also did a lot of chats with celebrities, and while I was there, I also helped a friend do publicity for a bunch of actors, um, mainly uh, young performers out there such as like Ryan Merriman, uh, Eric Lloyd, who was in the Santa Claus, Scott Terra, who was in Daredevil, uh, Hillary and Haley Duff, Mason Gamble, and just a bunch of people that, oops, sorry, that you probably would know now. So I uh, came back here in Iowa in 2001, and that's when I restarted my autograph collecting because while I was out there, um, even though you were around people, you really didn't ask for autographs. It just wasn't cool right. or, prof- or professional, which now I look back and say, you know, if only I would have asked, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that's basically where I'm at. And so now I'm getting back into TTMs and realizing how frustrating it was back then to not know what was coming in. So, And that's really <laughs> why we have Troy on. He was uh, kind of the on the inside of Hollywood and he knows how some of the fan mail and stuff works. He actually still handles fan mail for a couple people. So, uh, he's going to be a real asset when it comes to behind the scenes of, you know, exactly how, uh, fan mail works and, and a little bit of Hollywood works. So we thought he'd be a great addition to the show. Now you guys know, this is our first show back from our little hiatus that we had. Uh, we're going to do the show monthly now, the podcast monthly, but we will have a weekly content on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash autograph weekly. So be sure to go check that out. We've got some great new shows on there. Not necessarily a podcast, but they're uh, little YouTube shows that we're working on. And uh, really excited about that. Um, and we'll talk about those later, at the closer to the end of the show. Uh, we've made several changes, but um, it's pretty much the same Autograph Weekly that you know and love. Uh, a lot more content here, a lot better content, since we can save up the content throughout the entire month. That's very important. Let's go ahead and start off with the autograph news, and I'll kick this off with a story that I actually saw on Stephen Colbert about autographs. Uh, this is uh, about the new Secretary of uh, the Treasury, Jack Lou, who has been nominated. And his signature is literally 
just a bunch of loops. It's one of the worst signatures I've ever seen. It's like he does not know how to write in cursive. And apparently he's his signature is going to be on the new uh, $1 bill, our, our money. I think it's, is it more than, yeah, it's all of our money. Uh, so we're going to have all those loops, that ugly signature on all of our money. And uh, people are kind of freaking out about that. Uh, but that's his signature, so I mean, there's no real, I mean, you don't just, not pick somebody because they have a terrible signature. I'll read a little bit of, of this article. Uh, of all the ways to evaluate a cabinet nominee, is handwriting really worth examining? Well, maybe if the person's signature is going to end up on our currency as Treasury Secretary nominee, Jack Lou's would be if he's confirmed. Lou's signature isn't a signature at all. It's a series of loops that look, as of late, as, a, as late night comedians have universally noted, like he was testing out a pen to see if it had any ink in it, and it really does look like that. Um, this isn't just sloppy penmanship. This is the signature of someone who doesn't want someone to know who he really is. Um, this is a great article, and we're actually going to start posting the links to all the articles and the news stories that we do on our website under the podcast that we talk about it on. So under the, if you go to our website and find this podcast, you can actually click the link and read the entire article yourself. But uh, just thought that was interesting that we're going to have a terrible signature on our money, uh, at least for the next few years. Anybody? <laughs> as long as it's still cash, that's fine. It's still cash. I mean, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. It's just, you know, I love beautiful signatures and sloppy signatures are like... I think of uh, the guy that played Robin in Batman, uh, O'Donnell, Chris, 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 Chris O'Donnell. O'Donnell. Uh, horrible, just, you know, like a couple swoops. That kind of annoys me. And this signature really does annoy me also, but I mean, there's nothing we can do about it. But I thought we'd bring it to your attention so when you see scribbles on your money, it's not somebody that wrote it there. It's actually the signature of the uh, sec- uh, Treasury Secretary. So, uh, All right, Ben. All right, so my story is about Colin Kaepernick, the hottest person in sports right now, I'd say. Uh, in case you all didn't know, I went to school with him at the University of Nevada, Reno, which I just graduated from. And so his autograph has pretty much skyrocketed since his recent playoff run. And this article is talking about how his rookie Topps Chrome autograph Superfractor, which is a one-of-one, one, has sold for $6,000 by a shop owner who pulled it about a year ago. And he turned down a couple offers about about $4,000 for it, which is insane. And then 6000 he sold before the, the Falcons game. So imagine if he waited one more game even, and it would have doubled even more. So yeah. it's crazy to think how like people just in, spend like insane amounts of money for guys who are just hot like that, like... I mean, I got like literally about ten when he was here with me, so it's not—it's just insane to think about. Yeah, it drives so me did crazy. You buy, That's, did you buy any certs of him before the season started uh, or anything? No. Okay. Yeah, it drives me crazy. Like I've always been a guy that stresses I only buy veterans and people that I know are going to be worth something. The people that take risks on rookie signatures and autographs—it's almost like gambling, and uh, I don't like to gamble with my autograph collection. So, uh, you know, you could pay... For somebody that's hot, you could pay $1,000 for a signed rookie card, and then next year they could break their ankle or break their leg, and that's worth jack crap. Um, and that usually that's what happens most of the time. So the way I see it, yeah, you get lucky every once in a while, but there's a lot of money that goes down that hole. Uh, so I really only collect veterans and stuff and uh, don't collect rookies for that reason. 
Uh, especially, but, especially Colin too. He signs a lot. Trust me, he yeah. signs a lot. So yeah. it's it's going to go down eventually. So all right, it's crazy to think about. Mike, all right. So with the Academy Awards, uh, the nominees being um, being uh, announced. <clears throat> so I'm reading this article, and it's about certified cards. You know, you pull them from packs, and you know, movies have cards, and TV shows have cards, and. You know, I mean, it's pretty interesting. It's nothing I really collect, but I think I think it's only good for the hobby. I mean, I don't know what you guys think, but I think it's cool. You know, where you can pull these and they're 100 percent authentic, right. and I th- I really think you know they're going to hold their value as well just because of that. Uh, because well, I wouldn't say 100 and there whatnot. I would say 95 because 95. There, yeah, there's there's been stories of people signing like because um, it says it's been signed in front of a representative. But sometimes they'll actually just require the person to uh, like take pictures of them signing, and that's enough proof for them. And there's a couple stories of a couple people that possibly had family members, like they signed a couple, and then like family members signed the rest. So there are a couple stories out there like that. So I'd say 95 percent. Go on with your story. <laughs> okay, me. well, okay. So 95 percent of these are probably going to be real. Um, but uh, no, I think it's really cool. I mean, the fact that you know, even if you take cards back in the you know the 80s or 90s. They were so mass produced that they're pro- most of them aren't even worth pennies now. The fact that I think the hobby sort of turned it around, I mean, I think it's pretty interesting on a on a sort of bigger scale. Um, but I think for the autograph hobby in general, I think they're really cool. And uh, you know, everybody from Hugh Jackman to Bradley Cooper, Tommy Lee Jones, Jennifer Lawrence. I mean, you know, you know, you're getting a real Jennifer Lawrence. You know, Seth <laughs> yeah. MacFarlane. Pe- you know, yeah. pe- people that aren't great ip either like you know so it's really cool to be able to pull them from uh packs definitely it's it's a great way for these card companies that aren't tops or aren't upper deck or panini to try to make a name for themselves they sign these exclusive deals with these tv shows and they get the rights to their autographs and stuff so that's it's a good thing it's a good thing for the hobby it's a different kind of approach outside of the normal baseball basketball football hockey stuff too and like you said i would much rather spend my money on something that is 95 percent authentic <laughs> than some random ebay guy with an 8 by 10 like even though it's a card you can mat it and make it look pretty and uh mm-hmm. you know do stuff like that but uh yeah definitely there are assets to the hobby and uh it's kind of weird sometimes because you'll have a i know john noble he was in fringe but he was also in like lord of the rings so like uh, I like Fringe. I like I'll like Lord of the Rings. But if I wanted a Fringe sign card, but you know, I ended up getting like a, a Lord of the Rings card because it was cheaper. Like you can find guys that are in hit shows that maybe had a were in the TV show Angel back in the day, and uh, they were like younger. Uh, you can usually find those pretty cheap. Yeah, they're not from the show you like, but uh, save some money there. So mm-hmm. that's really good. Okay, let's move on to the actual articles. We're separating the news and articles on the show now. Um, so Jeremy's got an article on Obama. I do, and it is a pretty interesting article here. It's about, uh, well, we all know last week the fiscal uh, cliff deal was signed in uh, Washington, or was it really signed? Well, actually, it was signed, but it was signed by an auto pen that President Obama had. And, uh, well, we know this because he was in Hawaii at the time uh, uh, it was signed. Um, and this article goes on. Um, there's a lot of history about the auto pen, and it actually dates back to Thomas Jefferson. And there's actually a picture on this article uh, on this website, um, which actually shows the polygraph, uh, I guess, device that uh, Thomas Jefferson used. 
which is pretty, uh, you know, doesn't look high tech as they are uh, these days. But um, <laughs> and there was a lot of legality uh, with the members of Congress over the President Obama's historic use of the auto pen in 2011. Uh, but precedent for issue has already been established. In 2005, at the request of President George W. Bush, a White House Office of Legal Counsel issued a 30-page memorandum stating that the president may indeed use an auto pen to sign bills and other executive documents. Yeah, I so, mean, if they're allowed to filibuster without actually filibustering, then they should be allowed to sign a document and not actually sign it. But it worries me that, you know, eventually we're going to get to the point where everything's auto penned even after they're out of office. Because uh, so far, once a president gets out of office, they usually write a memoir. It's the first thing they do, and they usually oh. sign for it. I mean, they've been presidents have been great for that. LBJ did that. Uh, both Bushes did that. Clinton did that. Um, who am I missing? Carter still signs to, to you know today, um, and the Bushes do too. Uh, Ford signed. I mean, all these presidents signed, but with the auto pen becoming more popular and popular, uh, it's kind of got me worried about the future of memoirs and book plates because, you know, presidents have before auto pen book plates for memoirs and auto pen books. Nixon did it, and uh, Johnson did it. Uh, actually, Johnson was a secretarial. But uh, with technology growing, it's it's got me worried. It really does. So I wonder if they actually get to take that auto pen machine with them when they leave, or is oh, they can afford one. They're, they're like I looked into one for maybe uh, buying it for studying purposes and showing it. They're about uh, grand grand and a half for the lower lower end oh. ones. Uh, yes. But yeah, it's a little out of my price range just to do a video. <laughs> 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 it would be cool to auto pin all my fan mail though. <laughs> 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 Anyways, uh, let's go ahead and move on to Stacy's article. All right, my article is concerning PSA DNA. They released their most forged report recently, and I'm going to go through this. This is a pretty interesting article. They broke it down into the top 10 celebrity and historical forgeries and the top 10 sports. I'm going to go through these top 10 lists real quick, but. Like well, like Zane said, we'll have these links in here if you guys want to look, take a look more into this. It actually gives you kind of a uh, price range of what some of their uh, kind of an average of what their sign cuts go and what their frame photos and stuff go. But we'll start with the entertainment and historical. Coming in number ten was Judy Garland. Number nine was Walt Disney. Eight was Jimi Hendrix. Seven was Jim Morrison. Six was Marilyn Monroe. Five was Michael Jackson. Four was John F. Kennedy. Three was Neil Armstrong. Two were the Beatles. And number one was Elvis Presley. Yeah. And going on to the sports here, the, the top ten. Coming in at ten was Ted Williams. Number nine was Albert Pujols. Number eight was Jared Jeter. Seven was Tiger Woods. Six was Kobe Bryant. Five was Muhammad Ali. Four was Michael Jordan. Three was Mickey Mantle. Two was Lou Gehrig, and of course, number one was Babe Ruth. Yeah, we actually talked a little bit about that uh, with the president of PSA, Drew Orlando, and you guys will hear that interview later on in the podcast. But uh, fakes are still a horrible problem, especially on eBay, uh, and eBay doesn't do a lot to stop that. They do have a new system where they actually bring in celebrities to go on eBay and identify if the, the certain signatures are real or not, so let's say... Uh, I know Ripken's done it. Uh, I think Hogan's done it. So they come in and basically look at the auctions and 
say, okay, this is real, this is not real, this is real, this is not real. Um, so props to them on that. But when it comes to actually getting a seller that sells fakes off of eBay, uh, from personal experience, I've been trying to get one seller off for, that sounded dirty, off of eBay <laughs> uh, for like Ooh. several months. And I've called eBay, I've talked to several representatives, and he's still selling uh, fakes. And it drives me crazy because it's really obvious to me and anybody in the profession of uh, authentication would obviously know that this stuff is crap. But they don't take it as seriously because they're making a ton of money off of it. I mean, they, they make like 13% of whatever's sold on eBay. So, um, I mean, fakes are still running rampant and it's it's really hurt the hobby, man. And uh, not much we can do about it, but it's an interesting list of who they do forge. So I would say if anybody uh, is thinking of buying an autograph off that list, uh, first, know your dealer. <laughs> uh, just like a drug deal, know your dealer. And, and second, <laughs> do your research. Do your research and, <laughs> you know, uh, maybe if it's spending a lot of money like a Muhammad Ali or, or Jordan, it wouldn't hurt to send it to PSA to get an opinion, uh, and we'll talk about that more later on. But uh, Troy, you got some autograph facts for us. Yeah, this was an interesting article from HispanicBusiness.com, and it actually took uh, took the lead from what Zane mentioned about Jack Lou. Uh, basically, it started off talking about 10 things that you might want to know about signatures, and I could just highlight a couple of those here. Um, one of the most interesting ones that it talks about is about how uh, forgeries are used in candidate petitions, uh, especially in Chicago, I guess. <laughs> it actually talked about how there was a senator in Chicago, Alice Palmer, that if things had gone differently um, and he was actually proposed as the candidate, then Barack Obama might not have been president. And we talked about how the petitions for Senator Alice Palmer had names such as Superman, Batman, and Pookie. <laughs> um, uh, but it, it actually talked about how they people would sit in a circle and fill out these petitions for candidates and just go one after another, just filling in names and pass it around so it's not the same signature every line. And it was just really bizarre. Yeah, that's pretty common. I mean, yeah. Um, and it also talked about uh, Steve Martin, who I guess in the 1980s didn't actually give out autographs IP. He just gave out business cards that have a, had a copy of a signature um, <laughs> that said, uh, this certifies that you have had a personal encounter with me and that you found me warm, polite, intelligent, and funny. Um, <laughs> so you couldn't even get anything IP, just hand out little cards. Yeah, we've uh, mentioned that on the podcast before. People got very angry with him by doing that, and they actually <laughs> stopped doing it pretty fast. So. <laughs> um, and then there's just some other other neat things. Uh, you can go to the description and look at all of them. But uh, one of the other neat ones that I saw was that the um, there was a famous forger, uh, Joseph Cozy, who would actually forge like Mark Twain and Abraham Lincoln. And I guess he did a whole draft of the Declaration of Independence. And it, it became so known that his forgeries were then famous and worth something so it wasn't yeah. just the person he was forging but just that he had forged them which is just bizarre i think yeah they just had a they had a pawn stars episode I was bring that not up, too yeah. long ago that was talking about this guy too yeah and uh it was a forgery but done by this guy and he's like well it's a forgery but it's a good forgery <laughs> because it's done right. by a famous guy and it's actually worth some money 
So. It's kind of like paintings that you hear, you know, that are that are forgeries of famous paintings, but the painting itself is still worth, you know, two thousand dollars because it's such a good forgery. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, a lot of work <laughs> you know, still went into like that. It, so yeah. Yeah, of course. So, yeah, that's but, great. Uh, yeah, there's a whole bunch of, of different things in here. I'm not going to go through all ten. Yeah, uh, and if you guys want to check that out, like like he said, uh, the links will be in the description uh, on the podcast page just on our website, autographweekly.com. Um, the last articles that we're going to talk about have to do with e-graphs, and I know we've talked about e-graphs uh, before, so we're not going to get into the entire discussion of e-graphs, but it's pretty big that two major media outlets had articles about e-graphs uh, in the past month, and that is Forbes and TechCrunch. So uh, if you don't know what e-graphs are, they're basically a way for celebrities to sign uh, photos on their iPad. It's digital autographs, and I think it also comes with like a recording from the celebrity, which is pretty cool. The auto recording is, but uh, some people think that this is the future of autograph collecting, which a lot of us oldies say uh, not even close. <laughs> and we <laughs> we really want to uh, nip this in the bud. I mean, it can be its own niche thing, but if it becomes what autograph collecting is to everybody, that's not a good thing. Um, and with technology growing, I mean, eventually it's going to get there. And the separation I feel between celebrities uh, and fans. Even though we have Twitter, which you know gives you that uh, direct connection through technology, the actual in-person uh, experience, I think, is fading away with the uh, growing movement of technology. So I think e-graphs, they're going to be uh, something to be reckoned with for us collectors down the line. So I really want you guys to go read these articles by uh, TechCrunch and Forbes. Again, they will be on the autograph weekly website we won't get into discussion on e-graphs because we've talked about it before but go check it out that's an important thing um let's move on to the next segment stacy all right this is time for the aw hot list we expanded this to six uh people now being it's a monthly show so let's get to it the number six person was jordan weber number five was bill nye number four robert england number three was john bernthal Number two is Charlie Hunnam. And number one, of course, is the Cat on a Hot Tin Roof playbill that people are getting back that's been signed by Scarlett Johansson. Um, yeah, there's another person on that, but I can never think of his name. Yeah, it's, that's pretty crazy. I didn't think that the many guy people. Benjamin Walker. Yeah, Benjamin Walker. Yep. Uh, that's crazy that Who is so many Abraham people. Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, that's crazy that so many people have got back Scarlett Johansson. I, I, I thought that'd be one where people write, a couple people get it, and it gets cut off. But pretty much everybody that's wrote to it has got it back. So uh, I don't think I, I don't think she's signing individually. I don't think is she. I mean, is any, anyone that wrote I've to her sent, individually? I've got two requests out to her. I got a DVD cover and photos, but I haven't got either one of those back. So I'm mm-hmm. not really counting on those coming back. I'm assuming it's just the playbill thing. Well, my yeah. quote, you know, I always say a graph is a graph is a graph is a graph. I don't care what it's on. If it's signed, it counts. Yeah. So uh, that's that's a huge thing. So that had to be our number one. Uh, let's move on to the AW graph of the month. Uh, we're doing graph of the month now, not graph of the week and TTM of the week. It's all graph of the month. We'll take the 12 finalists uh, or the 12 winners for the month and obviously create graph of the year at the end of the year, uh, which went very well uh, our last show. So, And congratulations to Jeff Will, who actually won that last year. Uh, this sounds weird saying last year when it was only a month ago, but uh, he won a Stephen King signed book. So, uh, we ask you guys to send your entries into our Facebook wall. Uh, 
you know, it could be a purchase that you got for a good price. It could be a TTM. It could be uh, something you pulled out of a pack of cards. It could be an in-person. Any way you can get an autograph counts. And uh, the way we judge it is based on how good of a deal it was. So um, I'm going to go over voting real fast before we actually dig into who got nominated this month. Um, so we're going to do the polling a little bit different this, this year because we really want to make it even. Uh, polls can be manipulated, and we want to make it you know where the best things win. Um, so here's how it's going to work. 50% of the vote is going to be based off of you guys, and that's the poll that's on the Autograph Weekly website. You can vote. Just go to autographweekly.com. The poll's on the right-hand side. You can't miss it. So uh, you can vote there, and that will consist of 50% of the vote. Uh, four Autograph Weekly members will also account for 50% of the vote, other 50%. So, uh, you know, uh, we'll split that 50% divided by four, and that's how much each of our votes will count. Uh, so I think that way nobody has total power over who's going to win. It's going to be a real majority uh, of, you know, who we think deserves and who you guys think deserves to win uh, Graph of the Month and then move on to Graph of the Year. Also, each winner of Graph of the Month will actually win a prize now. So uh, last year we didn't give away prizes for Graph of the Week and Graph of the Month. Uh, this year we are. So you have your choice of what you want to win, guys. You can win an autograph weekly signed 8x10 from all the hosts, uh, and you get to pick what you want. Or you can win a 25-pack of Rackers cards. Of course, you can pick whatever sport you want. Uh, or you can win a six-month subscription to the Savage List or a book of stamps. So you have your choice of what you want to win if you do win Graph of the Month. And with that being said, uh, let's go ahead and give an honorable mention before we get started. Um, <clears throat> there was somebody that got a really awesome return back. They got it back at the end of December, and um, they also may be on the podcast later on. So we decided to give them an honorable mention since it really couldn't count toward Graph of the Month. And that is Andy Summers, who actually got a magazine signed by the entire cast of Breaking Bad. Uh, and it was sent to the set. Awesome return. Congrats, dude. I wish we could have put it in here. But uh, due to those two restrictions, uh, we don't allow anybody who's actually on the podcast to be entered in Graph of the Month and Year. So uh, congratulations on that. That's just an amazing return. Now, who's actually nominated for Graph of the Month? Here's the list, guys. Stan Musual TTM from Don Heston, and he got this in a week before Stan passed away, which is crazy. I know a lot of people tried to send to Stan after they saw that, and I know I got mine back, returned to sender, like a day or two before he passed away. Uh, I didn't know he was in bad health. I just saw somebody get a return from him. Next up, a George and Barbara Bush dual-signed book for $5 from the President Michael. That was a purchase, a really great deal. I mean... That's worth probably about $150 if you sold it. Uh, so a really amazing deal from the President Michael. Next up, a Charlie Sheen Leaf Pop Century box pull from Adam Ultimus, which is a really awesome pull. Uh, of course, Charlie Sheen last year, was it last year or the year before, one of the biggest names in Hollywood. Uh, next up, Prince Fielder TTM from Top Shelf TTMs. Next up, Drew Brees TTM from Michael Mackholtz. Next, and this is a big one too, Jerry Rice, TTM, from SportsFan2342. Uh, and the last one is Henry Cavill, TTM, who I think is Superman in the new Superman movie, right? Yep, yep. Yeah. Uh, TTM from Eric Larson. 
So that's the list you have to pick from. As you can see, the quality has went way up uh, now that we're doing a monthly show. So you can vote on that, guys. Just go to autographweekly.com and vote in that poll. And I told you how the new uh, voting is going to work. Now we have a little treat for you guys. On today's show, we're talking to one of the most powerful figures in the hobby of autograph collecting. We have the president of the largest authentication company in the world, PSA DNA. We're talking to Joe Orlando. How you doing, Joe? Hey, great, Saint. Thanks for having me, and thanks for calling me powerful. That made my day. I feel better. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> now, the first few questions will be about PSA DNA and yourself uh, with authentication questions on autographs and sports cards kind of scattered in. Uh, I know a large portion of our audience also collects sports cards, so we definitely want to cover them, uh, even though we're technically an autograph show. Uh, so let's start off with an easy one. For those of you who don't know, Joe actually played in the minor leagues and then went on to graduate law school. Uh, what really pushed you to make the decision to start working with entertainment and sports memorabilia? Well, personally, uh, you know, for me, I, I had been a collector my whole life. I definitely have the uh, the collecting gene defect or disease, however you want to describe <laughs> it. So I've had that since I was a, a little kid, and I really do enjoy the hobby. And would even if I didn't work in the hobby, I would enjoy the hobby just as a collector. I really do enjoy it. When I was in school, uh, during law school, it was actually my second year of law school, um, I had uh, become a customer of PSA uh, long before I came to work for the company, uh, starting in the early 1990s. And when I was in my second year of law school, I was contacted by the uh, current president at the time, and he asked if I would like to you know, come over and, and work for him. Uh, they were starting uh, this new company. At the time, it was PSA DNA, actually, in 1998, uh, to expand from trading cards into autographs and to also be a part of some other things, uh, you know, some other roles at the company. And I had to decline at the time because I told him I, I've been this far through law school, which was torturous uh, in itself. And I said, you know, <laughs> I, I really want to finish this. So right. um, I wasn't planning on, you know, coming to work for the company. But then uh, shortly after I graduated the following year uh, in the spring of 1999, uh, he reached out again and said, hey, you know, we really want you over here. Uh, you could help us out in a variety of ways and I said you know what if I'm if I'm going to give this a try now's the time to do it you know not 10 years from now but since I'm fresh out of school again never planned on actually working in the industry I, I just had enjoyed it um, you know as a hobby like like most most of us have right. um, but then I saw saw the opportunity and uh, 13 years later I'm still here so <laughs> so That's it's great. been a it's been a, a really great experience do you kind of consider it your dream job you know a lot of people say do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life is it kind of one of those things yeah, you know, listen, I, I really love the subject matter. You know, unless I was, uh, you know, squatting behind the plate for the New York Yankees, that would probably be number one. But number yeah. two, um, you know, I, I really love the material. I love the, you know, the subject matter. And it's it, it's really a great group of people just getting to know other collectors and hobbyists over the years. But at the same time, believe me, I am reminded on a daily basis that it is a job. Right. <laughs> and there, it's not just you know, uh, playing with baseball cards and autographs all day. It is a business, and since we're part of a, especially since we're part of a publicly traded company, uh, Collector's Universe, um, you know, there there are the same pressures here as there would be at any other sort of traditional job. Right, yeah. Um, I, it's good to hear that, because actually we talked to several people in the hobby, and you'd be surprised how many people that are involved in the hobby that are just in it 
purely for the money and they don't give a crap about collecting which is fine i guess i mean everybody has their thing but there are several people like that in the hobby we and you're one of the few people we've run across that truly has a passion for the job they do uh so it's always good to hear uh, no, I appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate that. Uh, you're the president of the largest authentication company in the world. What are some of the worst examples of forgeries you've seen at PSA? Oh boy, <laughs> <laughs> we, there there are some. We've had some uh, some interesting ones over the years. That probably you know the one that's popping into my head right now, and I don't know why it's popping into my head at this moment. But one of the I would say more comical ones was there was a book written about Elvis Presley. Uh, it was written, I think, somewhere in the mid or late 1990s, just a book about his life and, right. and so forth. And someone submitted it with an Elvis Presley autograph inside <laughs> the book. And they actually spent the time arguing with our staff that that his death is only part of conventional belief oh, <laughs> and that geez. he's still alive. The, the king is still roaming the planet somewhere. That was what, it, I don't know why that sticks out to me, but that was one of the more comical ones because usually, and, and this is just part of the job here, unfortunately we are in the business sometimes of delivering bad news. Right. And usually when you explain to someone why, you know, something did not pass, you know, they may get emotional about it, but ultimately they understand if you explain, hey, this ball was manufactured after Roger Maris passed away. Obviously, they, you know, a, a reasonable person will accept that as truth. In this case, I guess it just sticks out to me because you're expecting the person, maybe, you're wondering, maybe they didn't realize the book was written you know, right. <laughs> on this date and this year. And no, they were fully aware of it when they submitted it. They just believe that the king is still alive. So that was probably one of, one of the more interesting ones that sticks out to me. Well, you know, one of our main models on the show is do your research because a lot of people collect blindly. And if it's a good price, they're going to buy it. And we always say... Do your research before you buy something like that, you know? Look at the year it was produced, like you just said. So that's a very good point. Um, now, what are some of the most common mistakes that forgers or, this is becoming a big thing, card manipulators uh, make that listeners may be able to spot on their own maybe before they buy a card? Ooh, that's a, that's a good question. You know, let, let's talk about, you know, autographs first, if that's okay. Yeah. The, the one thing, you know, I, I, I really tend to steer people away from becoming their own authenticators. And, and the reason I do is that if people were aware of just how good some of the forgers were, I would leave it to the experts. Just like I would leave, you know, if I have a problem with my car, I would leave it to a, a, a professional mechanic. If I have a legal issue, I'd leave it to an attorney, you know, financial, an accountant, and so on and so forth. I do tend to steer people away from becoming their own authenticators. It always helps, as you say. I mean, right on our own website, we have 10 tips for building a collection right on our homepage, and one of them is educate yourself. The other one, another one is what you just said. If the deal sounds too good to be true, it usually is. But, um, you know, on the autograph side, again, I, I do think it's dangerous um, for people to start thinking that they're as good, if not better, than some of the full-time experts out there where this is all they do is live and breathe this stuff. And right. uh, so, in, you know, in my opinion, I would steer away from it. That said, I mean, basically all the sort of what I would, you know, call, you know, common sense things 
are important. You right. mentioned one earlier. If it sounds too good to be true, it usually is. The other thing I would suggest is this, and this, this goes for anything, not just autographs. It could be cards, memorabilia, is that when I run into people who have been taken advantage of, um, in every single instance, it is someone who is doing business with someone who has no references, um, no reputation in the industry. Yeah. And, and again, it, it sort of comes back to the common sense approach, but when you, when you hear about people meeting people at airports and Starbucks with bags of cash and the person has no references, you just start to tell yourself, listen, I mean, if you're looking to buy a Babe Ruth, an Elvis Presley, a Beatles autograph, something like that, a card, whatever it is, a Babe Ruth jersey, if you stick to buying from national level quality dealers and auction houses, even if you do run into a situation where, let's say it got by them, and that happens, they're human beings, something slipped by their staff, and they offered something that turned out to be uh, a counterfeit or, or maybe overgraded, whatever the, the case may be, right. they are going to be interested in preserving their reputation. That's how they got there in the first place. And they're going to take care of their customer. So right. if you stick to buying from reputable dealers and auction houses on top of, you know, again, we always say, you know, uh, please, you know, require, insist on third-party authentication and grading. We're obviously a big believer in that. But if you deal with sellers that have that reputation or, you know, again, or auctioneers, I think you can avoid, you know, 99% of the issues that come up uh, when people are taken advantage of. Yeah, reputation is a very large part of it. We talk about that a lot because you definitely want to buy from people that are, are known for, for their authentication. And uh, it's just a very big part of the, the hobby that a lot of people skip over with online auctions and everything else that go on these days. Um, now, as the hobby really moves away, and this is the uh, card hobby, uh, moves away from valuing the card itself to really valuing what's on the card, like game-used patches and autographs, mm. do you think the hobby of card collecting is improving with this change, or do you think it's becoming more of a hobby that only adults can really collect? If I'm understanding your question, you're talking about more of the modern product that are being manufactured. Right, you know, right it now, costs correct? more yeah. money to buy a pack of cards, and it's more yeah. about what's on the card, not the actual card itself, like it used to be back in the 60s, 70s, and the god-awful 80s. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this is, you know, it's interesting. <laughs> there you go. It, it, definitely, you know, there was a shift in the 90s. That's when all of these insert, you know, the insert craze sort of began um, in the 1990s, and then it, at, towards the end of that decade and into the 2000s, you're right, it started to move in, you know, to the piece of jersey, piece of bat card, you know, an autographed piece of jersey, piece of bat right. card, all sorts of different combinations. Now, I think what's happened, and I think this is unfortunate for the current crop of of collectors, the younger generations today, is that it's gone away from the core of what collecting was and right. should be and is for for many of us who started maybe a couple of decades ago which is if we're talking about card collecting specifically it was based on set building it was based on theme you know building around a theme now i mean this was the visual i can remember towards the end of my card collecting days many years ago i can remember in the mid 90s when the insert craze took place you could see and this is i mean this literally kids would go into the card shop, stand over a trash can, open a pack of cards, and literally, if you can visualize this, they're just flicking the cards, most of the cards in each pack, into the garbage, 
looking for that one chase card. Dump like, so base. if it was a chase card, they would keep it. Right. But nine out of every ten cards, they would just throw, literally just toss into the garbage. Yeah. That's not a good base. <laughs> that right. doesn't that doesn't drive collecting. It's you're chasing lottery tickets, and right. I I don't care for that approach at all. Now, what has been interesting for us at PSA, one of our most successful programs that we've created is the set registry, and we do it for other things, you know, other than cards, but currently, you know, there, we, are, we are heading towards 80,000 registered collections on our set registry. Now, the registry it doesn't cost anything, per se, to be a part of it. it does, there's no membership fee or anything like right. that, but, but what we wanted to do is provide a community that gets back to the basics, whether you collect an entire set from a particular manufacturer, like, you know, 2013 top, something like that, or you have a favorite player, a favorite team, you collect Hall of Fame autographs, whatever it is. But to me, and this is true of myself, my own collection, it's about creating a theme and then building upon that theme, trying, Absolutely. looking yeah. for completion. And I think this whole chase card, insert card craze that started in the 90s veered away from that. And listen, the manufacturers paid for it. That's why most of them are out of business today. I right. really believe that. Now, it's not all because of that. Obviously, the Internet and society has changed. And Absolutely, kids yeah. have more options today. But I don't think that helped, quite honestly. Well, we also see a lot of that in the autograph community. A lot of people collect on themes. Um, I think Panini actually does a pretty good job because they actually have $1 packs you can buy, I think, at the Dollar Trees or Dollar Stores now. Uh, as you know, Their product's not too great on the high end, a lot of people agree with, but on the low end, they do sell these packs to people that can actually afford it. A dollar for a pack. When's the last time you saw a dollar for a pack? Granted, it's probably all base, but it gets maybe the younger kids back into collecting a little bit. Uh, we did skip over the last part of the last question uh, about card manipulation. Uh, are there oh, any okay. little tips on that that maybe people can spot before they buy? Well, again, I, I, the first thing I'm going to say, which is not going to be surprising, is I really think it's best. I mean, one of the things that we communicate in our, again, in our, our sort of 10 tips section is, if someone's going to get serious about buying trading cards, and, and, and we're talking about, you know, hey, you're spending hard-earned money here, it's coming out of your pocket, I would insist on buying cards that have already been certified by a third-party company. Of course, I run PSA. Of course, I'm going to recommend <laughs> PSA. But, but really, any reputable third-party uh, authenticator and grader. Right. That said, um, again, just like the autographs, um, the the level of sophistication is so much greater today than it was, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago. I mean, when you looked at a trim card in the 1980s, um, compared to what the the you know the cards look like today, at least the more sophisticated right. uh, trimming jobs, it's a completely different story. I mean, and and so they are what we're seeing today uh, a lot more. Uh, you know, there's a lot more rebacking. There's a lot more high-level recoloring. I, again, I remember when I was a kid, um, when someone recolored a card, you know, they're taking <laughs> a black Sharpie to a black-bordered card, and you could see it five feet away. Right. Now, you know, they're, they're repainting entire cards. They're using you know, much more sophisticated methods. One thing that helps... Um, certainly, I mean, if I were a if I were a buyer of raw cards and I and I just were looking for some tools to help, 
one suggestion I would make is buying a simple black light. It doesn't cost a whole lot. I know there's a, there's a, it varies in price, but buying a black light certainly helps. You get in a dark room, you place that card under a black light, and, and oftentimes uh, any, any uh, type of surface uh, sort of restoration when it comes to painting, recoloring, that sort of thing, will light up like a Christmas tree under the black light. That is not to say it, hap- it happens all the time because there are, there are instances where it does not light up. But something, buying a tool like that is very, very helpful, um, and it doesn't cost a whole lot. And, and it's, again, it's better to be safe than sorry. So any type of tool like that. The other thing, too, is that there's a great misconception about, uh, let's just take trimming as an example. Some people think, oh, well, a card measures. That means it can't be trimmed. Or, on the, on the other side, a card is short then it must be trimmed. And that couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, I can remember um, in my younger days looking through a box of 71 tops. It was a vending box of 71 tops of baseball. And the cards were cut all over the place. You had oversized cards. You had severely undersized cards. It's definitely something that people need to be aware of, that it's not just the size of the card. It's the way the edges look and feel, and that's what the graders are focusing on. It's not just the size. The size can often provide a red flag, but ultimately they're looking at the structure of the edges and the corners. So, um, again, just something to be aware of as as people look at raw cards. It, It obviously has changed a great deal today because of a much more high number in terms of a percentage of the, in the marketplace are now graded. They, they're, they're not, you know, whereas if you go back even 10 years ago, there was a lot more raw material that could be purchased at shows and, and online. But as far as the, the more valuable items, obviously a lot more of them now are residing in holders because people, they just want that peace of mind, and, and I think that's a good thing. And when it comes to patch manipulation, there's a lot of people in uh, our community on YouTube that make videos to point out certain uh, differences on those, so you can tell which are the cheap Chinese knockoff jerseys that have been inserted into the patches and stuff like that. Are there any little tips for that real quick uh, for patch manipulation, possibly, that people could use to spot, other than, like, you can spot the cheap jersey compared to the, the real thing? Yeah, you know, I, I, I am aware that people have put together some, you know, some videos like that, and I know, you know, part, I guess, in addition to the recommendation you just made, the best thing to do is because there's just so many of them now, I think it's important to keep a log. I mean, if that's what you collect, obviously you made the point earlier to educate yourself as much as possible. There are so many products like that to keep some sort of list of references. What I I do in my own collection is I try to keep as many image references, document references, anything I can on whatever I collect because the more I know about the material I'm collecting, the better off I'm going to be. So if I were a collector of patch cards, um, I would have as many image references, ones that you know are, you know, we call them, you know, let's take autographs. We call, we have our library of tens of thousands of autograph exemplars. Um, I would keep an exemplar library of known, authentic patch cards and do the best job you can to compare them, you know, compare to. Um, the other thing I've noticed is that You'll see, like we just saw, I saw one the other day. It was a, it was actually an older one, but um, a lot of the times the the notations, like if they're hand limited edition by hand, right. you can notice the differences in the hand. Now it's almost like you're starting to veer off into autograph authentication yeah, or exactly. handwriting analysis, <laughs> but you can notice the style differences in the ones that 
came from the manufacturer and the ones that were not. And I, I will say this, um, and this is, I, I'm not here to scare right, <laughs> the, no. the audience out there, but it's <laughs> important that they're aware of this. The, the, the uh, situation I was dealing with the other day had to do with a card, and I'm sure this is not going to be news to you or, or, or some of the more uh, advanced collectors out there, but there was a time where things were sort I guess the best way to, the best term to use is they were sort of backdoored. Right. Um, from the manufacturers, uh, I know this happened a lot during the 90s. It happened into the 2000s. I don't know how much it happens today. I certainly hope it doesn't happen as, as often as it used to. But items have been backdoored, and the situation I was dealing with the other day is that it was a Joe Montana limited edition card. I, I forget exactly which year it was. I think it was in the late 90s. And what it was is the card, it, it was a real card. It was a real card manufactured you know, by the by the company, but it was it was take snuck out the back door before right. it was signed, and right. that happened that happened more often than people maybe want to think. Happen, you know, several you know, people happen. several people have videos up on those. Actually, there are several companies that went out of business in the '90s, and the cards that they already produced were sold off, and they weren't signed. And then these forgers got a hold of them, and of course signed them and sell them as authentic all over eBay now. Now I also think that uh, the internet, as much damage as it do- as has done, in my opinion, to these both of these hobbies, uh, when it comes to uh, getting these forgers and, and scammers uh, off of these sites and identifying them, I think the internet has helped a lot because you have kind of an army to go after them. Now it doesn't do a lot actually getting them off these sites that they sell at, but it does do a lot in education if you pay attention to the, these people that are are bringing that uh, bring it up. Let's go ahead and move on to the next question. We've okay. uh, we've been on that one for a while. Um, now I read that you're an avid collector of game used memorabilia. Uh, what are some of the best game use pieces that you have in your collection, and what authentication criteria do you need before you buy a new piece? <laughs> That's a good <laughs> question. Yeah, I tell you what. You know what, what I what I say to people is I I treat my own collection like I would suggest anyone else treat theirs as far as uh, purchasing, and and that is I demand third party as much as I feel I know. I mean, we all have different strengths in, in right. certain areas. I think I have a really good eye in certain areas, but that said, I still want to buy things that have been certified. So everything in my own collection has been certified, and I and I you know it's sort of like you know, imagine going to a uh, I guess it would be like a BMW dealership, and uh, the guy's selling you on how great a BMW is, and then you see him drive off in a Mercedes. You know, I'm <laughs> I'm not that guy. I yeah. I believe in you know what I you know represent here at the company. I I choose that for my own personal collection. So I do I do require that everything I have has been cert. You know, if if it exists, now not everything has there. There may not be a third-party company for certain right. items, like display pieces. There's no third-party company for vintage display pieces, but for bats, for gloves, for you know, uh, certainly for autographs, things of that nature. Um, you know, there are obviously companies that do that, like PSA. So right. I do, I do insist on third-party authentication before I buy anything as well. So that, I, to now answer are, that part of it, what are some of your best pieces that you have? Oh boy! Um, I don't have a large collection. I actually have a very small collection. I probably have less than, if I had to guess off the top of my head, probably less than twenty items in my whole collection. So I don't have a wow. very large collection. But what what I collect now, it's gone through changes. You know, as most people's right. collections have over the years. But what I decided to do is, I decided, well, for me, uh, pl- 
playing the position of catcher. That was the position I played in college, and it meant a lot to me, and I, I loved the position. I loved playing baseball. So I decided I'm going to collect items that pertain to the greatest catchers in, in baseball history, and it's primarily uh, around uh, game-used bats, although I have a couple of gloves and a couple of jerseys. Um, gosh, the best pieces. <laughs> it's like, now, now this is a <laughs> let tough me guess. One. Let me guess. Let me guess. Kurt Manwaring, right? Yes, it's Hector, Vill- <laughs> Hector Villanueva and an Aussie Virgil dual sign photo. No, that's terrible. Those guys, will, they're going to hunt me down and hit me with a bat because I said that. No, I would say that, uh, you know, gosh, I, I, something I really, really enjoy in my collection is I have a, a game-used Johnny Bench glove from his last, the last year that he won his uh, gold. He had a, a consecutive run of gold gloves. He had 10 straight years from 68 to 77, and it was a glove he used during the 1977 season, and it comes with a handwritten letter from Johnny Bench shortly after that season on Cincinnati Red Stationery. Uh, you know, so uh, that's a really special piece to me because a glove is a very personal item that Absolutely. obviously uh, endures a great deal of use. So it's just something that's special to me. I also have his uh, 1975 uh, World Series bat, um, which is which has a tremendous amount of use, and that was that's just neat because the World Series was such a um, you know, it's considered by a lot of people to be at least one of the greatest uh, World Series in baseball history. And as you can probably tell, since my first two items are Johnny Bench, Johnny Bench to me, again, I'll get I'll get arguments on this, I'll spark <laughs> debates, but to me, he's still all the way around the greatest you know catcher of all time. Um, I think a lot of people I, agree with you. Yeah, um, I mean, those are probably the two that stick out the most. I mean, but I try to you know I have other. I'm, I'm still trying to complete my my measly collection in terms of size. Again, it's not a large collection, right. but those are two of the, the the probably the standouts of my collection. Now, I, I know a lot of our listeners have a large passion for collecting. Uh, what type of schooling is needed to find a job in the field of authentication? Oh wow, that's a good <laughs> yeah. We always joke about how wouldn't it be nice if we could just call up uh, the local college. <laughs> <laughs> and say, hey, everyone who graduated with a uh, specialty in autographs, could they please apply for one of our positions? It's, right. it is, it's, it's extremely difficult to find qualified people in anything that we do. I mean, whether it's autographs, card grading, ticket authentication, game use, bad authentication. It, and, and I think what is tough is that there are people that have been in the hobby. I'm sure you know them. I know them. You know, that have been in the hobby for three decades, but that doesn't mean they have that eye. It's right. sort of a combination of science and art, and, right. and it, it's hard to describe for those that don't have experience doing it, but you either have it or you don't. It's sort of like, imagine being a baseball scout, and you're walking up and down a, the foul line, watching people play catch, and there are a bunch of guys trying out you know, for, uh, to be a pitcher. I mean, you're either born with a great arm or you're not. And, and, and that's, it's very similar um, in, in the things that some of our experts do here. Yes, you need a tremendous amount of knowledge and time uh, put into learning about all the little differences, the evolution of signatures, the different types of paper stock and card grading and cuts and size and all of these different things. But ultimately, you have to have that innate ability to make, render that opinion, and that's, it, it is a rare quality. So... Um, as far as you know, schooling. <laughs> I mean, obviously, a lot of self-taught. Uh, we're talking about people. A lot of people who are self-taught. A lot of people who have 
again, started in the hobby as a hobby, you know, as a collector, as a hobbyist, perhaps in some cases as a dealer. Um, but it, there, that's the, the unfortunate part of, of what we do and what uh, I guess the hobby is faced with is that there are no tr- you know, official training programs. Right. I mean, we have mentoring programs internally. If we identify someone with a talent for autographs, for cards, what have you, we will put them through a mentoring program if they are interested in becoming a full-time grader and we have an opening available. And when they're ready, then we obviously – uh, you know, put the uh, give them the green light, and they can start grading um, along with the rest of the graders. So we have an internal mentoring program. But uh, you know, for in autographs, for example, I know one thing that has been debated over the years is you hear about these forensic document <laughs> examiner people, right. and I often laugh at that because it's very different to study general handwriting analysis. That is not the same thing as specifically the specific study of some the evolution of someone's signature. Right. I highly doubt that if you took someone who simply went through those courses, was certified in some manner, and for the first time you showed them a rookie-era Mickey Mantle autograph and then showed them one signed in 1985, that they would think that that was signed from the same person. I, 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 I doubt that, and I think that, that you know what what our guys do what other people do in this industry is far more specialized so the experience is uh is is really really needed in my opinion do you feel uh if somebody was wanting to go that way do you feel that getting a degree or, or specialization in that would be kind of a waste of time or do you, does that is it worth it do you think you know what it, it, it's interesting it's certainly not a waste of time i mean anytime someone can can improve their skills and build upon their knowledge base that can't be a bad thing so mm-hmm. it's certainly not a i don't think it's a bad thing i think the question is if, that doesn't qualify you specifically for the job but yeah it would be a tool is that yeah, exactly it may it may assist if you have someone you know what it's like again it's like if you have let's say you you again you're a scout and you find someone that has a great arm now you're teaching them how to pitch. You're giving them different training methods of how to improve their curveball and how to improve their control. That can only help. But right. at, the, at the end of the day, they have to have that innate ability, and then obviously they have to couple that with the experience. So I would never talk anyone out of, of really what it comes down to is education. If they're, if they're improving their skill set, I would never talk anyone out of that. But that said... I don't know if that in and of itself, or I I haven't met anyone that has come from that sort of, I guess, with that background before having the experience, the specific experience of of the the hobby background and and specific study of autographs. So, um, again, I would never talk anyone out of that. Certainly, it it could only help. It's not going to hurt. So, I guess we'll have to see. Okay, let's move on to some generic autograph questions since we are an autograph show. Uh, with the increase in online selling and trading, and like, uh, like I said, this has to do with autographs, do you feel it's helping or hurting the hobby, the whole online aspect? <laughs> another, uh-huh. another tricky one. I think, listen, I think if people use the right precautions, it's helping. And I, and I, I mean, just this alone. I mean, I can remember growing up, I was, you know, I was a part of the big boom of the 1980s as a kid, you know, uh, learning how to collect and really getting involved in the hobby. And I was limited to, you know, hey, if there was a local hotel show or mall show or baseball card shop, that's what I was limited to at that time. Yes, there was mail order and stuff like that, but basically my buying options were limited to whatever was closest to me. The Internet 
is incredible. I mean, now you can buy things all over the world, um, certainly all over the U.S., from various uh, auction houses, hob, you know, dealers, that sort of thing. I think for the most part it is a good thing, but with the proper precautions. Right. If, if people are going to look for, you know, it, it goes back to one of the things you mentioned earlier. If they're focused on getting the best deal and they're focused on the price, Again, if a deal is too good to be true, it, it's Lord. probably, you know, it, it is. Yeah. And you, you still hear the stories of people going on Craigslist and, you know, and getting picked off of eBay offline, not on there. And they're buying from people um, that, that do not have these, you know, the proper reputations and the references that you would require of any, anyone else selling this type of thing. I think if they take the proper precautions, the Internet can be a wonderful thing, especially as it relates to information, which is aside from uh, all the, the buying and selling. I mean, one of the things that we're focused on literally right now is we're building this online encyclopedia for cards and tickets, autographs, bats. It's a free online encyclopedia. Right That's now great. we are building the heck out of what we call PSA autograph facts, and it's, it contains Im, like tons of images and and information, biographical information, price guides, you know, uh, at some point, uh, auction prices realized, all of these expert commentary. We're trying, uh, education is a big part of what we do here. We don't just put things in plastic folders right. and, and, stick, <laughs> and play stickers on things, because we want a healthy hobby. We want people to come into the hobby. So the Internet, it, as far as content is concerned, is just absolutely wonderful, because, right. you know, again, um, this information wasn't available. It wasn't uh, disseminated, um, you know, uh, 15, 20 years ago, at least in this uh, fashion, because the internet, you know, wasn't available. So, well, I truly um, believe the freedom of information on the internet is key to battling the forgers. I mean, I think that's going to be one of the big things that helps out collectors, uh, and that's one of the reasons we do this podcast so we can educate people on collecting, so they don't make these decisions and buy from these forgers. Um, Let's move on to the next question. Uh, what's the most expensive item you've ever laid your hands on? I know you work at PSA, so you've probably seen a lot of things. But <laughs> what's the most expensive you can think of on top of your head? Well, the most expensive thing I've ever touched myself with, I guess, again, if we're, if we're going off an actual price realized, it would have to be the $4.4 million uh, Babe Ruth jersey that sold last year, which was circa 1920. is the uh, wow. first season with the, uh, with the New York Yankees. I mean, I do have the... Be privileged. I sort of live vicariously through <laughs> many of the submitters here. I get to look at this stuff and I go, "Well, uh, that's worth more than my soul." But at least I get to look at it for for thirty seconds. But that that is again, if we're talking about an actual price realized at auction, that is because that is the highest uh, price uh, ever recorded for a piece of sports memorabilia. And I had a, an opportunity to look at that with and, and handle that myself, and that that was something special. How about your favorite item? We'll spin off question. My favorite item that we in in my my 13 year career here is clear for me is the bat. It was sold in 2004, I believe, at Sotheby's. But it was the bat that Babe Ruth used to hit the very first home run on opening day in 1923 to beat the Boston Red Sox uh, wow. at New Yankee Stadium, and that was when the New Yankee Stadium was built. And of course, again, he beat Babe Ruth, hits a three-run homer to beat the Boston Red Sox on opening day. It was autographed, which was so neat. Um, without going on and on and on about it, it w what it was is that Christy Walsh uh, set up this three-year program um, in Southern California. There was a home run hitting contest, a youth home run hitting contest, and the winner of this contest was handed a bat signed by Babe Ruth, and it was the bat he used to hit the first home run of 23. 
24, and 25. Wow. This just happened to be the first year of Yankee Stadium, so he, he was the first man to homer uh, in that stadium. So he sort of christened that stadium in 1923. The autograph was preserved uh, in tremendous condition. It has a plaque, tremendous provenance, and probably the funniest part of all is that it was handed from that winner, the, the, the guy that won the home run hitting contest, kept it in his possession, and when he passed away, he gave it to his housekeeper. Wow. And his housekeeper allegedly, and, and, and well, I can't verify this or not, but allegedly right. kept it under the bed for protection from intruders. Oh, <laughs> you know, and didn't realize what it was, and then one day she uh, you know, met some of the guys over at SCP Auctions in Southern California who were working with Sotheby's at the time, ended up auctioning it off, and it sold for a uh, little under $1.3 million in 2004. But to me, that was from the coolest thing I, that, that we have certified, for, again, in my opinion, just because of the, the importance of that event and the fact that it's not a record that can be broken. No one else can hit the first home run in Yankee Stadium, and, and that it can never be replicated. So it was a really special uh, piece. Yeah, everyone loves those cards in the attic stories, and everybody's jealous. From what they just heard, um, if you had to guess what percentage of autographs that come through PSA DNA are forged, uh, secretarial, auto penned, or pre-printed, do you guys get many preprints in there? Uh, but what 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 percentage do you think uh, don't pass? You know, that's a great question, and it would be silly of me to try to guess. Right. What I would say is this: is that at this stage of the game, and we we've been in business on the DNA side now since '98, on the PSA side since '91. But since we've been in business for so long now and established our reputation, we don't generally receive obvious forgeries, especially in quantity, because people realize it's not going to get by here. Yes, we still get lots of forgeries, but not in huge chunks. Um, so. Yes, you know, if you're talking about guys like Lou Gehrig, if you're talking about the Beatles, if you're talking about, you know, that sort of thing, Elvis, right. the percentage, it's not uncommon for that percentage to exceed 50% still right. to this day. So right. on, on items like that, but with guys like Duke Snyder and, you know, Nolan Ryan right. and guys that signed a tremendous amount, you know, after their careers, especially during the 80s and 90s and, you know, to the present, where these guys made, you know, a lot of people forget, they made a lot more money signing autographs after they played than they ever did. You know, <laughs> yeah. they're playing the, the actual game that made them famous. Um, there's, there's so much authentic material of those types of guys, guys that played in the primarily in the 50s and 60s that signed a lot of autographs right. after their career. You don't see a lot of that, but certainly on the major players, especially on non-sports, no doubt about it, that right. in non-sports, because the reality is the average collector at least has some idea right. of what Mickey Mantle's autograph is supposed to be. Um, try asking them what Robert De Niro's autograph is supposed to right. look like. They're, you know, it's completely, yeah, exactly. It's a completely different um, animal there. So in any event, it, you know, again, it's hard for me to, to have one – uh, percentage, but again, on the big names, it still wouldn't surprise me if it exceeds fifty percent on the on the more prominent names. But on the the stuff again, the Yogi Berra stuff like right. that, you tend to see a lot of authentic material, at least fr from our standpoint, because people know that they're not going to get those items past us. Um, so they don't bother to try. At least the do guys you, that are intentionally trying to to, to do that. So. Do you guys get a lot of preprints in there, like a preprinted signature in the actually part of the photo? <laughs> you know what? Believe it or not, we still do. We we get a lot. We do get a percentage of those. We get. I, I would say probably more so the vintage 
facsimile signed baseballs, like yeah. the team signed baseballs right. they used to uh, sell like at the, the gift shops. Eighties Red Sox and stuff like that. Yeah. Exactly, we get that from the fifties all the way through the eighty. We get, we do get, still to this day, a pretty significant chunk of those. And as you mentioned earlier. That we also get, we do get a portion of the non-malicious uh, forgeries, right. like the secretarials. I mean, Babe Ruth. I mean, there was a time I remember as a collector. This was long before PSA DNA even existed. But I remember when I was growing up, you know, as a collector in the '80s, even into the early '90s, that the the community, the hobby community, thought that those were secretarials were were written in Babe Ruth's hand for a wow. long time, and then the industry you know, realized, wait a minute, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's something off here because you start looking at his last will and testament and it looks just like the Babe Ruth autograph from five years before that. And, ten, it, and then people realize, wait a minute, these, these are secretarials. They were right. probably signed by his night nurse. And then, you know, again, the more education, the more investigation, uh, uh, you know, it, it helped provide the answer. the to, truth, yeah. That's right. That's exactly right. And, and that's, that's an important thing to take away from all this. Experts, a, a real expert, is always learning. They're right. always learning something new. Nobody knows everything, <laughs> you know. Today, it's right. impossible because there's always additional information coming out and more investigation. So, a, a, a good expert, no matter what they're doing, continues to learn, and that's now, important. You have seen probably so many signatures working with PSA. Uh, who do you believe has the best looking signature or the most beautiful, if you will? Now I'm going to ask you a question. Did you did you happen to read my column this month? I did not. That is pretty <laughs> funny. Literally, the column I I just got the copy of our magazine today. The and this is what the the title of my column is this month: Autographs. Does beauty matter? So the entire <laughs> column is written about this subject because Perfect. it's it's interesting. We're we're working on building PSA autograph facts up. Uh, you know, a lot on on a, in our online uh, presence and. We started talking about that, how some people's autographs are just, you know, they're really visually appealing, and other ones uh, are just hideous. Right, <laughs> so yeah, I, I, it's interesting. I mean, I'm a big fan of, of Ruth. I'm a big fan of Jimmy Fox, Mantle. But, you know, I'm looking at our report. We do this 10 most dangerous uh, autographs that we do for sports and non-sports. Uh -huh. I mean, Walt Disney has a an yes. awesome-looking signature. It's like artwork. You know, right. it's just you look at it, and he has a very, very cool uh, looking signature, um, so I, you know, I like. A, it, it, this is something else to, to notice, and I, I've often wondered about this. If you look at a lot of the greatest hitters of all time, Gehrig, Mantle, Williams, Ruth, DiMaggio, they have beautiful signatures. Jimmy Fox. For, then you look at some other signatures from pitchers like Greg Maddox, and you wonder oh, if there's God, something. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you wonder man. if there's something yeah. there. If it, if it's something about the personality or. But uh, but you do notice that some of the great hitters of, you know in, in baseball history really just have fantastic aesthetically appealing uh, signatures where some other athletes for whatever reason um, I mean I was looking we were joking about you know you have Mike Trout and Bryce Harper two phenomenal young athletes right uh, Mike Trout's signature though wow yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not exactly uh, Mickey Mantle in that respect actually, but he plays like a young Mickey Mantle so that's Ma what matters right? Mike Schmidt Mike Schmidt actually wrote an article recently on the net uh, about this and he said he doesn't understand why these young players can't sign a full autograph for somebody uh, and he said he always signs his full signature 
which is I, I, I personally don't think is true. Uh, I know a couple of people that have Schmidt's autograph, and it's pretty sloppy every once in a while. For the most part, it's pretty beautiful. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, a couple that come to my mind is Ken Griffey Jr. in the '90s had a beautiful signature, like yeah, uh, amazing. And Marty Marion, who played for the Cardinals, uh, had a really amazing signature, especially if it was signed in like ballpoint pen or thin sharpie. Um, all right, let's move on to the next question, and this is the last of the autograph-related questions until we get to the uh, Twitter questions. Uh, in what direction do you feel the autograph hobby is moving? Do you think it's growing, or do you think it's in a steady decline? It's a good question. I, I think it's growing. I mean, at least from my vantage point here, and it's not just because of the growth of our authentication services in business, but what I see is that collectors that are let's say they collect a lot of people start in trading cards that's you know i did most of my friends did when the, when you're a kid right. you start with trading cards i think what's happening now is that people are realizing there are great ways of complementing their existing collection so if you're a if you're a card collector and you collect let's say you collect nothing but mickey mantle baseball cards why not have a single signed ball? Why not have a Absolutely. signed bat or a jersey? Right. And I think what's happening is that more people are realizing that an autograph, because of that personal touch, because mm-hmm. of the the display the display quality of autographs versus cards. I mean, unfortunately, most card collectors, what do they do? They box them up and they put them in the safe deposit box right. or in a closet. You can't really display trading cards, and I think that's where autographs can really help complement. Uh, a, a hobbyist collection is that they can you can you know buy isolated items that really help i mean i know guys are interested in you know in their man caves these days and they want to have to you know dress up their man caves with right. stuff that they like well it's hard to do that with baseball cards but they yeah. can do that with with autographs and other types of memorabilia so Signed i think and, yeah. exactly so I, I do think that the appeal is growing it's not so much that you're we're at least from again from my vantage point it's not so much that we're I'm finding that there are a much higher percentage of of uh strict autograph collectors it's that I think people are expanding their horizons and realizing they can complement their existing collection with autographs and that is really starting to to build uh the market because playing, of that reason playing the devil devil's advocate here uh I kind of feel like there is a separation between celebrity and fan growing with the uh, invention of technology and the internet, and I think that is going to grow. And I and we actually have a question. Don't answer this yet. We'll we'll move on to the next question. But there is a question uh, coming from a fan that kind of addresses that. But let's go ahead and move on to the Twitter and Facebook questions. Uh, Nathan Overfield asks, "What resources do you use to authenticate an autograph?" I know you talked about the database a little bit, but uh, just kind of give us a quick synopsis of how that works here I, I get asked this question quite a bit yeah, in I everything figured. we yeah. do and, and this is and, and this is what the reality of what it comes down to yes each expert no matter what they're doing autographs cards bats they each have various tools for example the autograph experts they have access to this enormous exemplar library they have all sorts of high-tech tools they even have a machine which is utilized by the FBI we have two or three of them on the premises it's called a VSC machine video spectral comparator um, where you can place items in the, under all sorts of different lighting to see erasures and, and tracing and all all sorts of different things. You guys so actually have, have a video on that on YouTube. I've seen a PSA video from you guys that show off that machine. 
Yeah, exactly. With uh, probably with Steve Grad. Yeah, he he did a few videos for YouTube showing how he utilizes the machine. So we have all sorts of high tech tools. But at the end of the day, and th and this is the reality of what we do and what any service does, it comes down to the people. It comes down to the experts. So for us, for example, again in the card in the trading card area in our grading room, we have guys that specialize more in vintage baseball cards and we have other ones that specialize in more contemporary and modern baseball cards. Same thing goes for autographs. We have guys that have we have guys on staff that have uh, special knowledge maybe as it relates to uh, contemporary entertainment versus baseball versus historical. So at the end of the day, it comes down to the quality of the people you have on staff. You can hand uh, my mom <laughs> all the, the, <laughs> the expert tools that, that exist on the planet. It doesn't, it's not going to make her uh, an, a qualified expert. But So what you hope to do is find the right people and people that complement each other's skill sets and then give them the tools they right. need. Uh, to do it, but really, it comes down to the knowledge and the experience of the people. Like any, you know, any any place, it, it comes down to skill. It takes skill to do what you guys do. So, um, Eric Larson asks, whose autograph do you get in the most to get certified? Ooh, you know what? I I could not answer that off the top of my head. I mean, if I had to guess, it just over the years, just in my thirteen years here. My guess is it would be it's probably someone like Mantle. Um, in other words, if, if if we were to look up in the database and it said we received X amount of Mickey Mantles and that's the right. most that we have, I mean that wouldn't surprise me. However, because there are also lots of other again uh, guys that signed in their post career days, you know the Enormously. Hall of Famers, yeah, yeah the Harmon Killebrews, the right. you know those types of guys. It, it, it may not surprise me if it were those, but if I had to guess, it's Mantle. If, uh, I, again, if I remember right, that, there's a video, again, you guys put out uh, on PSA. I believe they said Williams and Mantle were yeah. some of the biggest ones. Yeah, I, again, if it were Williams or Mantle, I would say that's probably right, because yeah. both of them signed an enormous amount after their career, up even through you know the upper deck authenticated days and even into Green Diamond and Ted Williams Enterprises. So there, there's a lot of, of material out there, both of those guys. Well, all Adam Ultimus asks, uh, and this is what I was talking about, kind of devil's advocate. What are your thoughts about digital autographs? Because personally, we talk about this on the show all the time. I think this is where everything's going. Sadly, I, a lot of collectors will hate it, but I feel like the celebrities are becoming more detached. Yes, Twitter, you can communicate with your fans. Okay, that. But it's not actually conversing. It's it's electronic. And I think everything is going to go electronic. And I, they'll probably bring up the price in autographs once things start going digital. But what's your opinion on digital you know, I, I guess I, it sounds like I'm going to probably fall into the same camp <laughs> as you yeah. are. I mean, the reason that people love to collect is to be able to touch the items. Is, is, is that there? A, there, there's you know, for some people, and this may not be true for me or for you, or, but for some people, they actually take it a step further, and they're they're interested in collecting for the personal connection. They yep. want to go see Brian Erlacher sign that item in front of them. They, they enjoy that experience. But at the end of the day, when I go home with my, you know, I have a small collection, but I, but I love what I have. When I go home and I'm sitting there watching, you know, the playoff game this Sunday or whatever, the football game, I'm surrounded physically by the stuff I enjoy collecting. You're surrounded, I you're I, surrounded by history. 
Exactly. Like I want to go pick up that Buster Posey bat or Elson Howard or if I, you know, whatever. It's there physically. I can touch it. I can feel it. And I think most collectors are drawn to that aspect of collecting. When you start to make things digital, the it's it, you're you're not appealing to what collectors want to do in the first place. So I I can't possibly see that uh, being successful in the long term. Just an opinion. I could be. I, I could be I, I laughed think, out of I the think, room in five years. I, I think I, you're right when it comes on the collector's end. I think a lot of the collectors, we're all going to be against it. But on the celebrity end, there's such a disconnect there now with technology. Mm. I think that's what's going to push it, personally. Uh, gotcha. And, I, and you know, I do think, uh, like you said, there are two camps, really. There's people that collect for the historical aspect. Okay, this person touched this and signed this. And there's people that collect for the experience. And those tend to be in-person collectors, uh, IPers. Uh, those people mm-hmm. go out for the experience, and then they have something kind of proof of their experience. And then there's other people like me who collect for the historical aspect. Um, yeah, and I'm and I'm similar. I'm I'm more into the historical aspect right. as well. That's what I'm into it for. All right, last question from Twitter. Uh, this comes from Josiah Sutton. What is the oddest autograph you have, you have authenticated? I know there's a lot of what is the questions, but uh, like. The autograph that was like, how the heck did you get this person's autograph? Or why did you get this person's mm. autograph? Like, what is the oddest one uh, that you can think of? The oddest one that, that has been submitted here? Yes, that's been submitted. The, I, I would say, you know, I've never quite understood the fascination with crim, like criminals, meaning guys like, for example, I know that we've received things like Charles Manson autographs. Right. I've right. never... You know, I, I think to myself, I understand there are people that are interested in, in history, and, right. and obviously there are people that are important historical figures, and right. some of those important historical figures are not good people. Right. So I understand that, but that particular genre, I don't understand the appeal. And we've received things like Manson, right. you know, and, and others. It's not just limited to man, but other criminals, I would say, uh, that have been... Uh, that I, I don't quite understand the, the appeal of wanting to collect those autographs. I will say I, I, this to defend those people. I, I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't specifically collect that stuff, but I've always said that if I had the opportunity to have a Manson or even a Hitler, I would absolutely pull the trigger on it because that is a piece of history. Uh, terrible history, terrible history, but you're still owning a piece of history. And that's why I, 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 I think you need to own items like that to remember what not to do. I think that's an important part of America's history is remembering our past so we don't repeat the past. And I think items like that uh, are important in collecting. So no, I think, And that's I think, true. I mean, you see that in trading cards as well. One of the most popular non-sports trading card sets of all time is the 1938 Horrors of War set. And it's right. a, it's, it's a it's very, you know, it's sad to, to, to think about that time period. But at the same time, like you're right, it's an education. It right. did happen. You know, this is not, this is a part of global history. Absolutely. And, you know, I, and that just shows, you know, our, our, our mini conversation there just shows that that's what's so cool about the hobby. There's something for everybody. Absolutely. You know, that, that's, the, that's the thing. Well, that's a good note to end on. Uh, that's all the questions we have for you, so you're off the, the hot seat. Uh, guys, I <laughs> want to remind you, if you're listening, uh, if you have anything you want to get, get authenticated, we always plug PSA first. We say go to PSA. We do plug, obviously, do your research first. But if you if you are thinking of buying an item or you bought an item and you feel uncomfortable with that item uh, and it's a decent amount of money, we always urge you to send it to PSA. And you can find PSA at PSACard.com. Is there anything else uh, that you want to plug with PSA? Any new programs or anything you guys are doing? You know, just to further your point, not to really plug any particular service or program that we have, but 
we're, a big part of, of what we do here is provide content and messaging, education. I mean, that, that's what keeps the hobby, you know, vibrant and healthy. If you go to PSACard.com, right on the homepage, um, we have a section called 10 Tips for Building a Collection. It reiterates many of the points that I'm sure that you tell your uh, listeners out there, and I, and I think it's important uh, because that's, that's what, again, putting our services aside, it's, it's the education, right. learning about the material, making sure you avoid the pitfalls. That's what keeps you interested, happy, and uh, keeps the uh, hobby healthy. Well, thanks for being on, Joe, and giving us some great answers. Uh, we wish you guys nothing but the best in 2013. Hey, thanks for having me on. Anytime. This episode of Autograph Weekly is brought to you by Rackers.com. That's R-A-C-K-R-S dot com. Rackers produces custom trading cards for baseball, basketball, football, hockey, wrestling, and even movie cards. These sleek, matte-finished trading cards have been created for the Autograph Collector. Whether you write TTM or Graph IP, Rackers are a great upgrade from those boring index cards. For IPers, be prepared for any celebrity you may run into. Purchase a pack of Rackers cards and use the promo code AUTOGRAPHWEEKLY, that's one word, AUTOGRAPHWEEKLY, to receive a free sample pack with purchase. That's Rackers.com, R-A-C-K-R-S dot com. All right, time for the voicemail feedback. We only got one, which is fine. You know, we've had a hiatus of about two months, so people are still getting into uh, the routine of things, so we expect more next month, you hear me, guys? Uh, But here is our one voicemail, and we were actually going to talk about this subject anyway, but it's perfect that we got a a voicemail for it. Here it is. Hey, guys, it's Brian, 4077TTM on YouTube, with a question about spring training thinking about sending uh, to uh, some teams for spring training, which is coming up here in less than a month, and uh, just wanted to hear your thoughts on that as to, um, uh, well, any tips, really, and when is the best time to send? Should you send early, send while they're there? Uh, Do you have any experience of what the best things to send are? And uh, just really any tips you have on sending to spring training facilities. Keep up the great work. Thanks. And as I said, we were going to talk about this anyways. Uh, Spring training is close. Um, And we're going to talk a little bit about how to do spring training, when to send spring training, who to send to at spring training. Uh, Now, take a little poll here. Who in our panel actually sends to spring training? I do. Um, I actually did not send any last year, but I am sending a crap ton this year to one team in specific so I'm going to kind of see how that goes um, that facility is going to know me pretty well it's just going to be about 60 some uh, requests going to that same facility so Troy, we'll ben, see how that goes Troy, Ben, Mike, Jeremy any of you guys ever sent to spring training? I have I not, have not. Nope. no okay so this is a discussion with me and Stacy uh, because we have I did this uh, last year and I only did veterans and, and mainly coaches and hall of famers uh, kind of going for the long ball. And I struck out. Um, so let's hit a couple of key points. Uh, when to send. Uh, now. Uh, send now. Uh, spring training starts in what, mid-February? Is that right? Yeah, pitchers uh, and catchers, I think, report. Report. Like, the, yeah. Between the 10th and 12th of February, then the position players are like the week after. Right. Uh, so you want to get your stuff there early. Uh, spring training used to have uh, amazing 
people used to have amazing signing habits. You could get Hall of Famers that never signed through the mail. You could get Yogi Berra. Uh, I know McGuire signed a couple years ago through a spring training address. To get those guys, though, you got to get it in early. Because once somebody sees a return, they get flooded, just like every other good address. Uh, I know McGuire got flooded at the end of spring training the year he signed. And he didn't sign any of that crap that... Uh, listen at the end of the year. I know Stacy got one in, uh, but you got to get the stuff in early. I always send before pitchers report, uh, just so I know it's there and ready for the celebrity when they get there, uh, or the player when they get there. So when to send? The answer is now. Uh, don't wait. Uh, what to expect? Don't expect much. Uh, spring <laughs> training has really declined, in my opinion, when it comes to signing uh, successes over the past two years. Uh, as I said, I sent out to a lot of vet- veterans last year. I probably sent out 30 requests to coaches, and uh, they have usually veterans on staff that are usually Hall of Famers to help uh, teach the younger guys. They're not technically coaches. They're advisors. So I sent to several advisors, and I literally got two returns out of 30 uh, last year on spring training. Now, that doesn't mean that's all I'm going to get because sometimes when you send to spring training, uh, the person maybe just doesn't get the mail in time or they just didn't sign mail that year. And when they come back the next year, that mail's sitting there waiting for them. So actually, I've seen several people get successes exactly a year after they wrote the letter because the person came back to spring training and uh, signed. But don't expect great returns. Now, if you're sending to rookies, you can expect pretty good returns. Usually rookies sign pretty well. I know, Stacy, didn't you send to a lot of rookies before? Um, yeah, I've done that in the past. That, I mean, usually that's the best way to go. Um, with spring training, like Zane said, you you can't have huge expectations. Probably, I would say, if you get a success rate of 30 to 35%, that's doing exceptionally well right now. Um, like Zane said, a lot of it depends on the type you're sending to rookies or trying to get stars. Um it just it, it goes it's got it gets worse and worse every year. I used to have really good su- success in spring training. I mean, I used to get I bet my success rate 10 years ago was 75 80% of everything I sent to spring training came back signed. Right. But it's just like it's back going to win to the win to send thing. You the earlier you get it in the better. I mean, you could still get players throughout the month of spring training, but it's always better to get the item there beforehand. Right. And a lot of it too is the team. Some teams are good, some teams aren't. Yeah, and that, that's even just with regular club addresses. Some teams are good and some teams aren't. Um, let's talk a little bit about who to send to. Uh, obviously, rookies are your best chance if you want a good success rate or a decent success rate. Uh, if you're going for long balls, um, and I hope it doesn't get flooded after telling you guys this, but Ralph Kiner actually signs uh, very well through spring training address. I think it's uh, through the Mets. So um, if you're having trouble getting Kiner, which he's actually a pretty decent signer now through a regular TTM address. I believe it's his home address. Uh, but Because he used to not be. He used to RTS several items. Um, but now he's signing pretty decently. But if you wanted to get him almost you know, 100%, uh, he does sign very well through the Mets spring training address. Um, but, you know, I say if you're really into baseball, go for several rookies and throw in a couple long balls. Especially new coaches, uh, if they're a Hall of Fame player that's the new hitting coach for their old team, hit them up their first year. Because their second year, they may not sign. McGuire was an exception because I think the first or two, first year or two he was a coach, he was basically a hermit. 
You know, he would go out and do his hitting coach stuff, but he wouldn't talk to the press. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if he did much with the fans at all either because he had such a bad reputation from the whole uh, Congress thing. But uh, like his second or third year, he came out and actually signed spring training stuff, uh, TTN. So I, I would make a yeah, mixture like of I it. Said with, Go ahead. Like I said, with, with me and my spring training this year, I'm, I'm testing something, doing something different. I'm going to, like I said, all my spring training requests are going out to the Padres because they're my favorite team. So I'm going to, I'm sending it actually to everybody that's on the roster, spring training roster and all the coaches. So I'm going to kind of see how that goes. And um, I, I think the last thing we need to cover is where do you get spring training addresses? And uh, actually, there's a website that keeps all the spring training addresses up, uh, updated, and that is bit.ly slash spring training addresses. Uh, it's a longer, longer link. It's an Angel Fire website. It's been around forever. And it's actually at the top of the Google listings if you search for spring training addresses. But uh, it's still updated. It's newly updated for 2013. Ugly website, but the information is all you want. So uh, we made a short link for you, uh, bit.ly slash spring training addresses. That's all one word. So uh, go there, and you can get all the uh, addresses for the teams that you need. Also, uh, to find out who is on each team, just go to MLB.com and go to each team's website. You can see the full uh, 40-man roster for spring training. Also, uh, I think they may have a little more than 40 at spring training. Uh, but you can also see the coaches, and that's what I really pay attention to. You want to see who the bench coaches are, the hitting coaches, all that stuff, because sometimes they're Hall of Famers uh, that you didn't realize were actually working for that team. So go check that out, guys, if you want to do spring training. And hopefully this helped you guys uh, who are planning on sending out to spring training addresses. Now let's move on to the face ma- uh, Facebook and email feedback. Uh, again, only had a few of these because we've been on a two-month hiatus. And uh, people uh, haven't been on the Facebook page as much since we've been on the hiatus. So that will change, obviously, this month now that we have uh, new content and a new show out. So, uh, Stacy, hit us with those questions. All right, the first one is coming from Hosea Sutton. He's asking, what is the best IP you've ever got? Uh, I'm going to take this and throw it to Mike first. <laughs> mm. All right, well, me, I would probably say uh, Chuck Berry, maybe, or, or Springsteen a couple times. I think that'd be, like, my favorite, like, tops, if I had to say. Yeah, Berry's really cool. And actually, uh, Chuck Berry influenced John Lennon to get into music. A lot of people don't know that. I mean, that's, that's pretty crazy. Uh so uh yeah that's awesome Ben you do a lot of IP you got one yeah. that Um Kobe Bryant probably or um my mom got President Barack Obama before he was president Nice Uh mine are horrible mine Mine maybe you'd be like Gary Gaetti <laughs> I haven't met I haven't actually nice. Yeah I I haven't met actually many uh done many IP sessions as me and Stacey always talk about we're stuck in the middle of you know, nowhere, so we don't get to IP very often. Uh, Stacy, do you have one that? Uh, mine's probably my favorite's probably Weird Al. I got him after a concert here. Yeah, that's a really cool four one. years ago. He's actually here again in April, so hopefully I can try to get another one. Uh, Troy, mine would probably be uh, mainly. My favorites are usually just for the experience, not for the uh, you know how famous they are. Right. So uh, I think uh, I. My favorite's Walter Koenig from Star Star Trek. Um, we were at an event and it was taking too long for the organizers to get organized, so he just kind of got up and went through the line of people. He wasn't even going to wait. He wanted people to to start to get stuff. So that oh. was pretty neat. Uh, Jeremy, 
Um, are you considering conventions, conventions IP count or no? Two, yeah, conventions count to, um, I would say best experience. Like, so. Yeah, um, I, I'd probably have to go with, uh, man, <laughs> uh, maybe Borg 9 was pretty cool. Yeah. Meeting him, and, you know, he was really cool. Uh, I, I'd say him. Um, sports, I'm going to probably go with Jim Kelly. I got him years, years ago. Nice. IP. All right, Stacy. All right, the next question coming from Michael Macholtz. He's asking, what living person's autograph is going to be the most valuable when they die? You're a gold digger, Michael Macholtz. To tell you the truth, and we've kind of talked about this before also, um, the people who are living that are usually the best or one of the best in their fields, but their field's not very well known or, or you don't have really fans of that field. Uh, let's say an author uh, like Cormac McCarthy. Uh, uh, I think it's his name. Cormac McCarthy, the guy that wrote uh, No Country for Old Men. Never signs autographs. Uh, his stuff is worth a fortune. Uh, the chick that... The chick. The woman that wrote uh, <laughs> To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, Lee Harper. Uh, she's hardly signed anything. Her stuff is worth a fortune because she rarely signs anything, signed anything. She's still living, I think pretty sure she's still alive uh and it's just so rare to actually find something signed by her um and she's one of the best you know in our century so those kind of people you know your michael jordans and your tiger woods and your kobe bryant's yeah they're famous um and their stuff's expensive right now but they've signed so many items because they're so famous that uh, their stuff's not going to be even close to the Cormac McCarthy's and the Lee Harper's and people like that. So uh, somebody said the Warren Bacall. <laughs> so, you know, rarity really comes into it. Rarity, uh, how many autographs did they sign, and how influential were they on our society, I think is another big factor. We're not going to name names specifically, especially people that sign TTM and stuff, because we don't want to flood them. Uh, but those are the kind of people that really, uh, their autographs, you know, are very expensive once they pass away and stay expensive. All right, last question. All right, also coming from Michael Macholtz, he's asking, what players, coaches, staff from the Ravens 49ers do you have? And not really an autograph question, but who are you rooting for? And he says he already knows Ben's answer. <laughs> I, I have no comment on this. I'm not a big football buff, so you guys take it over. Um, As far as uh, I'm trying to think of players or coaches, I got – I've got Harbaugh on a bunch of football cards. I got an 8x10 from him. Jim Harbaugh, that is, from when he was at Stanford. So that's probably the biggest one I can think of. I don't think I've got a lot of current Ravens or 49ers autos. Does anybody other than Ben have any autographs from these teams? <laughs> no. Okay, no. so Ben. Oh, uh, okay, I'll take it over here. Um, I'm rooting for the 49ers. <laughs> Um, I have a lot of Colin Kaepernick's. Uh, I got Mike Ayupati, the Pro Bowl guard. He was at Idaho and actually coincidentally played against Colin in college. Um, LaMichael James from Oregon. I picked up a signed ball by him just because I liked him. Patrick Willis, a friend got me. And then from the Ravens, I have Arthur Jones that was meeting his brother, John Jones, at the UFC Fan Fest. Um, and then Ray Rice I purchased a while back before he got popular. So, and in the and, news, Ben Martinez has retired at the age of 19 due to Colin Kaepernick autos. 
Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) 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 All right, so I hope that answers your question. Uh, And go 49ers. uh, So, yeah. Um, (laughs) Let's move on to the next segment, which is the Kane Chronicles. Michael, take take it away. All right, so... In December, I, uh, you guys have probably heard of that little concert, that 12-12-12 Sandy Relief concert that happened in New York City. Um, it, was, it, it was all over the place. I'm sure you guys heard of it. And I figured I'm four hours from New York City. Why not go down, right? I mean, why not? I mean, it's New York City. All the graphers are there. All the celebrities are there. It should be like fish in a barrel, right? I mean, they're all there. So I got down there about 7 a.m., which means I left my house about 3 a.m., so did kind of an overnight thing. Um, <clears throat> hit a couple talk shows, um, got blown off by pretty much everybody there, and then we head over to um, Madison Square Garden. And, and the thing with New York City is, it's like, if you guys knew this this concert, of course, there was Paul McCartney, and there was the Rolling Stones, and there was pretty much everybody ever at this concert. And you had to either choose to sort of track down at hotels or stick to the garden. And I think what we learned was um, they did sound check the day before, so... That really didn't help us out. So people were kind of quick in and out of the day of that show. So it was a bit of a bummer, but, you know, when you're in New York, what do you do? You go to Broadway. So we kind of head over there for a little bit, and I got, uh, let's see, who did I get? I got uh, Matthew Broderick, um, who everybody says he's, like, super friendly guy. Well, he wasn't super friendly guy, but I got Matthew Broderick. (laughs) He seemed a bit bothered by me. but Michael also got Matthew Broderick's secretary. I was just going to ask if the secretary was with him. Well, no, it was a legit autograph. He actually did it. And if people know Broadway, on the back entrance, the stage door after the show, they usually always come out and sign. And uh, I was waiting across the hallway, across the street, I'm sorry, for Al Pacino. So after uh, Broderick probably signed for about 40 minutes out back, he comes out front, totally signed out, and there I was. So, where where when I asked him for his autograph, his quote was, "Didn't I already do this?" <laughs> and, and I said, "Well, Ferris, you already did this, but see, I was an outback. I was sort of waiting for Al Pacino. It was no offense, nah, you know. Yeah, I'd rather sort of score an Al Pacino. Which about a half hour later, I did just that. Al Pacino came out, um, signed a ton of playbills." Um, which he totally lit it up in the playbills. And then when he looked over to the collector side, I was right in front. So I got an 11 by 14 signed by him, um, which I know all you guys are jealous because it's real, right? Yeah. Like how, how, I mean, you can't <laughs> buy, I mean, you only really have the opportunity to get him IP because everything else, if you buy one, it's a squiggle. Like you have no idea if that's real or not. TTM, yeah, well, see, my squiggle is real, and it's exactly. not just a squiggle. <laughs> you it's know it's real because you saw him sign it, but <laughs> anybody who does not get him IP, I mean, it's really hard to own a Pacino and not have it be IP. So, yeah, well, mine's a squiggle and a dot, so, I mean, oh, I don't know yeah. what that says, but at least I know it's real. He was yeah. right in front of me, and he did it. Um, and to top the night off, I mean, I got Pacino, I got, uh, I got Jamie Foxx, I got Ben Stiller, I got, um, I don't know, I saw uh, I saw a true Hollywood TMZ paparazzi car crash that involved uh, Whoopi Goldberg. That was kind of cool. Like, they were trying to take her picture, and graphics were sticking stuff in the window, and her, and her uh, a driver just slammed into somebody. Really? Uh, and, I, and I wasn't a part of that, but that was kind of neat to see, like, firsthand. Yeah. Right? 
<laughs> I, I guess I, that the whole part of the IP scene just makes me sick on the inside. Not you, but the the people that have stacks of photos. And we've talked mm-hmm. about the positives and the negatives of this. But like, mm-hmm. uh, whenever I look online at the videos of IPing, like part of my heart sinks because I'm like, ah oh, man. I mean, like I feel so bad for the celebrities sometimes. Like, yeah, if, if the people if the people are nice and don't push and say hi, may I have your autograph? I have no problem with that. <laughs> You know, that's but it's the people that are not civil at those things. Yeah, that drives well, me crazy. I, mean, I I can tell you just in New York City, there there's groups of guys, and that's all I'll say. Groups of guys, and this is their job, and they're right. not nice. And right. I saw the saddest thing that I think I've ever seen graphing, and I just sat back and watched it. I saw I saw Michael J. Fox walk out of Madison Square Garden with his wife, and you could tell he wasn't looking great. You could tell he was shaky. He was trying to get to his car. And he got mobbed by not fans, by professional autograph autographers, right. and he barely could get to his car. He didn't pick up a pen once, and I respect him for it. Yeah. And he got to his car, but I mean, it's a, some of this stuff is equivalent to like blood diamonds. Like right. when you're buying autographs, sometimes you have to think and like realize this wasn't done at a comfortable book signing, and right. it wasn't done, you know, somewhere where it's appropriate for each party. This was a lot of times done in the middle of a busy street, you know, some sometimes people's houses. And being in New York really opens your eyes up to like it's just not this fan friendly like man your autograph. There's right. way more to it. Yeah, and we won't get into that too much, but like you know, it just I, I wish people would be more polite. You know, <laughs> and it's Definitely. asking for a lot, but it just kills me on the inside when people are rude to somebody Agreed. that's giving you something for free. But totally, just me. All right, uh, is that is that that wrap it up or you? Got, yeah, man, that's wrap awesome. I'm jealous. I think all of us are jealous. That's, that's an awesome day, man. Um, all right. Let's go ahead and move on to just the tip. And this week we're talking about large packages um, and specifically books. Um, <laughs> I actually made a video on YouTube, guys. Every month we, when we do just the tip, there will be a video to supplement what we're talking about to show exactly what we're talking about. Because all the stuff we talk about with just the tip uh, needs to be shown instead of just told through audio. Um, and I showed people how to ship a book TTM to somebody and get that back. Now, a lot of people do it wrong, uh, in my opinion, because they're spending money they don't have to spend. You can spend around 12, you know, 11, 12 bucks to send to somebody TTM with a book. You can use a bubble mailer, and you can actually use first-class postage on the inside, which I... Um, I, I'm not a big fan of because that's extra money I could use for another TTM. The way I do it costs about six dollars plus plus supplies, and basically what I do I use the regular nine by twelve envelopes, not the bubble envelopes, uh, the flat ones. I take the dust jacket off the book. I write the letter. Uh, I have two of those envelopes. Obviously, one's a self-addressed stamp envelope, but it's not stamped, and the other one is the envelope that goes to the celebrity. Uh, and instead of stamping that inside envelope, I put in three dollars. The reason is. That person can send the book back through media mail, uh, which only costs $3. Granted, it takes a little more effort on the celebrity's part to actually get the postage put on there, which is why some people don't do it. It makes it a lot easier if you know you just put first-class postage on there yourself. But you're paying you know like 3 bucks extra if you do that, and that's like three regular TTMs but if you you're trying can, to save on money. But you can go to the post office, and they'll put media mail amount on the return envelope. They would that's not do I that do for now. me. They would not do that for me. They said it had to be done at the really? location that, really? yeah, and with the date that it was shipped. Mine so, does it. 
They okay. do it. Well, for me, if your post so. office does that, you go ahead and do it. But I asked them to do it, and they said they could not do it. They had to actually do it at the place that it was being shipped. So if your post office does that, by all means, do that. And make it easy for the celebrity. But uh, if they don't, just stick three bucks in there. Uh, usually, the celebrity will pay for it themselves, but it's more of a courtesy to put the money in there. Uh, that way, you know, it comes back to you through media mail, and you can save some money that way. Especially if you do a lot of books, which I do. I don't send a lot of books TTM. I use a lot of book plates. But uh, watch the video, guys. Go to YouTube.com/slash/AutographWeekly. It's up there. It explains the whole uh, the whole uh, situation, how to do it uh, step by step. So uh, let's go ahead and move on to give me your autograph. Stacy. All right, we've got three of these this week. We got entered in uh, the first one. I'm probably going to butcher your last name, but sorry, Chris. Chris Muliak. Uh, his playing he wants us to promote is his YouTube channel. You can find that at youtube.com slash 123 cardman. That was youtube.com slash 123 cardman. Uh, next, we got an entry from Jeff Will, and he has got three items he wants us to plug here. This first one is his YouTube channel, and that is at youtube.com slash Fan 4 Also, he has a website, or a couple different websites. So it's like the first one is jeffsautographs.weebly.com and jeffscardcollection.weebly.com as well. And the last one for this month is Cierran. Or Regan, and he wants us to promote his YouTube channel, and that is at www.youtube.com slash COR48293. And remember, guys, to go check out the Give Me Your Autographs page on our website, autographweekly.com. Hit Give Me Your Autographs, and you can see the signatures of all these people. So if you want your website or your YouTube channel or your Facebook page plugged on our show, all you have to do is send a photo of your signature signed to Autograph Weekly, Joe Schmo, and then give us your link. We'll post that photo of your autograph on our Give Me Your Autograph wall on our uh, website, and then we'll also mention you in the podcast. Simple as that. Uh, Send your entries to autographweekly at gmail.com. Let's move on to the web deal of the week, and we're also combining that with our monthly giveaway. So, Stacy, All right, this month's web deal and monthly giveaway is going to be a Jewel signed CD, which we picked up from her website, and you can find that at www.jeweljk.com, and you can pick up the signed CDs from $10 to $13. Plus and what you got to do to get a chance to win this CD from us, go to basically answer this question. Who was your celebrity crush when you were growing up? And you can post your answers on Facebook, Twitter, Google+, or you can simply email them to us at autographweekly at gmail.com. And the reason we asked that question is because I had a little crush on Jewel when I was growing up. It was <laughs> during my... Uh, <laughs> my childhood so uh i kind of interested to see what you guys put there we have a large uh age range for our show so i'm sure we'll get like jane fonda and then we'll get like people from like <laughs> iCarly. so uh <laughs> so again you can answer those questions uh on facebook twitter google plus or if you don't have any of those which you're living under a rock uh you can email us at autographweekly at gmail.com 
Uh, the winner will win a jewel signed CD. And like Stacy said, uh, they're 10 to $13, but I wanted to mention that that's not including shipping. So shipping is on top of that, but it's not very much. Uh, she has a new CD out and that is nine ninety nine dollars uh, uh, plus shipping. So a uh, pretty good deal for jewel. Um, all right, let's go ahead and move on to the AW February schedule for 2013. Uh, we're going to mention the schedule each on each show because uh, we want you guys to know what's coming up on our YouTube channel. Uh, we have a show every week now. That's why we're autographed weekly now. We have a weekly show on YouTube, and here is the schedule. All right, February 3rd, which will be next weekend, we will be doing an autograph week, autograph or an AW Extra. Uh, spit that out there. Um, I think we decided this is going to be at noon. I'm not sure if we're 100% positive on that, but we'll get that information out to you guys. But it will be next Sunday, earlier than normal because of the Super Bowl. February 10th, we'll be launching a new show, and it's going to be an authenticity show. And right, do you want to say what you're thinking about naming that yet, Zane? Or Yeah, no, well, I'm going to save that. I'm going to save the name. Uh, I'll be running the authenticity show. Uh, a couple people have brought it to my attention that they'd like more about authenticity and how to... Uh decipher if it's a secretarial auto pen preprint that kind of stuff uh so that will debut on the 10th that will be a youtube video on our channel and uh, i'll be doing that monthly for the time being we'll see how it goes over uh if you know people aren't into it we'll replace it with another show but uh for now that's the plan for the 10th uh and i'll uh, reveal the name on the 10th all right then on the 17th me and mike kane will be bringing you another episode the autograph insiders and i just want to thank real quick everybody for their support and that we've had lots of positive feedback on that show and we are going to be a little teaser about what we're going to be talking about it's going to be ebay i'm not going to go into too much more but that will be the topic for the autograph insiders on the 17th and then of course on the 24th we'll be bringing you episode 50 of the autograph weekly podcast so you guys can look forward to that also just a real quick uh going to tease a couple of things that are going to be some extra content coming to the YouTube channel for Autograph Weekly. Um, there's going to be a monthly Autograph Weekly challenge that I'm going to be doing. I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail yet because I'm still working out how I want to do that. And then we're also going to try, with the help of some IPers, get some IP footage up there for you guys once in a while as well. Yeah, that's just going to be extra content. Whenever we get it in, uh, we're going to throw it on the channel. So uh, it's going to be updated pretty regularly. So you guys definitely want to be subscribed to our YouTube channel. Again, that's youtube.com slash autograph weekly. Now, we haven't been on in two months, so we have a lot of celebrity uh, who have passed away and several great TTM signers. Uh, so some of those are uh, Conrad Bain, who was an amazing TTM signer, signed for everybody that sent to him. Uh, of course, was on uh, oh, the show with... Gary Coleman was it different uh, strokes different strokes yeah um, also Stan Musial passed away another great TTM signer especially earlier in his career uh, always signed those uh, postcards for everybody uh, which was still awesome to get because he's a freaking Hall of Famer um, so that was a big loss Earl Weaver also signed TTM uh, signed for a fee but uh, was a pretty low fee so uh, he sadly passed away also Robert Chu from The Wire uh, David Ellis, director of Snakes on a Plane. James O'Donnell, uh, a USS in, uh, Indianapolis survivor. Uh, Michael Cronin created the brand names TiVo and Kindle. Uh, this is a big one for you card collectors. 
uh, Richard McWilliam, who was the founder of Upper Deck, and you probably have his signature printed on uh, many cards in your collection. If you look on the back, it's a game-used jersey or an autograph. It's always got the fake printed signature of Richard McWilliam. He passed away. Uh, Jeff Lewis, former uh, NFL quarterback. Patty Page, singer. Tony Lip uh, from The Sopranos. Sol Ulrich, the writer of The Warriors. And Eric Schwartz, of course, uh, one of the, not technically co-founders, but he created uh, a very vital piece of Reddit that was bought by Reddit. Um, And a lot of people know uh, the stuff surrounding that story. Uh, So it's sad that all these people passed away, especially so many great TTN signers, and will be uh, sorely missed. Um, all right, guys, that really wraps up the show. Let's plug a few things before we leave. Um, the AW website, autographweekly.com, guys, that's a must. Go go there. You can click all the links for our news articles now. They're right under the podcast. Also, the polls. Uh, give me your autographs up there. Uh, that's pretty much where everything comes together, autographweekly.com. Also, youtube.com slash autographweekly. Uh, Facebook.com slash Autograph Weekly, Twitter.com slash Autograph Weekly. Our, uh, our Google Plus page um, can be linked on our website. So if you just go, because the URL is a little weird and funky, it's kind of weird to read. So just go to AutographWeekly.com and hit Google Plus, and that will take you straight there. Uh, if you are on our Google Plus page and add us to your circles, you can actually participate in our AW Extra segments that we do uh, once a month. Uh, so definitely go check that out. Also, if you have an email you want to send to us, whether it be feedback or just recommendations on the show, that's autographweekly at gmail.com. And, of course, you can reach us uh, through voicemail, which we really uh, urge you guys to do. And that number is 347-55-GRAPH. That's 347-55-GRAPH. And let me get you the exact number here for you guys. Uh, The exact number is... Uh, 347-554-7274 so you can call that don't worry we're not going to pick up it's automatic voicemail leave a message and we'll uh, play if it's a question we'll play it on the next episode of Autograph Weekly and uh, I believe that wraps everything up alright guys I'm Zane Savage and I'm Stacy Schaefer as always stay classy and you take care all of you autograph addicts Thank you for listening to Autograph Weekly. Visit AutographWeekly.com for news, tips, and contact information.